Well, folks, Sha Jerry Adams, August Maris Grad, Hasilagumsa, Gul Shivsha, Alig Gulyar, August Banak T, Nakaska, Devsha. Jerry Adams here, and a very happy Easter to you all. I hope everyone's keeping well. And today, Easter Sunday, Republicans across Ireland and across the world will commemorate and celebrate the men and women who rose up against the British Empire and in favour of an Irish Republic at Easter time 1916. A century later, their extraordinary courage is often passed over by some, particularly in the political establishment in Dublin, who occasionally pay lip service to their sacrifice. A few even dismiss it as foolish and a mistake. And the official narrative is that we have won our freedom and that Ireland is free and that the proclamation is the writ of the land. But none of that is true, of course. But however, if we are to understand the enormity of the undertaking that these brave men and women launched over a hundred years ago and the risks they were taking and the immensity of the challenge they faced. We should remember at that time, all history has to be judged in its own time, that at that time the British Empire was the largest in world history. It was the global superpower of the 19th and early 20th century. 23% of the world's population was held in bondage and it occupied or controlled almost one quarter of the total land mass of the globe. The British Empire was hugely wealthy through its ruthless exploitation of other people, their land and resources. It had a monarchy, a government, a political and economic establishment that believed it was their destiny to rule, that they were better than the rest of humanity. And maps of the world were covered in the red of the empire. By 1918, it had four million men under arms to enforce its will. And against this imperial colossus stood men and women from the four corners of Ireland, nationalist, republican, socialist, trade unionist, Gilgory, feminists, the women of the Common Naman, the Irish Republican Brotherhood, the Irish Citizens Army, the Fianna Aran, the Volunteers and others. And out of that emerged the Irish Republican Army. Poorly armed with out-of-date rifles and insufficient munitions, they dared to dream and to hope and to fight for a better Ireland, free from divisions imposed by London. The proclamation they wrote for that Easter 1916 is not just a piece of polemic to hang on a wall. It's a manifesto, a manifesto of intent for real and lasting change, for a rights-based society, for a new Ireland, for a republic. In a few hundred words, and in language that still inspires today, it addressed Irish women and Irish men. No distinction. Equals in the struggle for freedom. It asserts the right of the Irish people to national sovereignty and independence. It guarantees religious and civil liberty, equal rights and equal opportunities to all. 
Its objective is the happiness and prosperity of every citizen and the creation of a new society that will cherish all citizens equally. These core values are as relevant today in the upcoming Assembly election on May the 5th as they were a century ago. So this Sunday we will remember all those heroes who marched out that Easter. We remember too those who fought in previous and later phases of struggle for freedom, including in our own time. Their focus was on the future, making a better life for all our people and especially our children, to give them the best possible chance to fulfil their potential and to live happy, full and contented lives. We Republicans believe that this can best be achieved through the establishment of an independent and sovereign Ireland, a united Ireland, a new and shared Ireland. A modern, progressive and fair society fit for all who live here. This Easter, thankfully, there's now a peaceful way to achieve this. So let's redouble our efforts to make this happen. Let's have freedom in our time. It's also the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement on this weekend. 24 years ago on Good Friday, April the 10th, 1998, a 5 p.m. plenary session of the talks in Castle Buildings brought an end to months of intense daily negotiations. The parties present affirmed their support for the agreement that became for many forever linked to the day that was in it the Good Friday, or Belfast Agreement. It was a remarkable, historic minute after decades of conflict. The DUP had absented themselves when Sinn Féin joined the negotiations the previous September, and just hours earlier, Geoffrey Donaldson and Arlene Foster had stormed out of the Ulster Unionist party rooms when the final shape of the agreement became clear. What is often forgotten is that the agreement was achieved without the Ulster Unionist Party ever engaging with Sinn Féin. The other parties did, the DUP of course, didn't. The SDLP led by John Hume was central to a lot of this. The Loyalist parties, for example, they had no inhibitions about talking to us. In fact, some of our most fruitful discussions were with uh, them. But David Trimble had only ever said two words to me directly. We met in the men's room in the toilet one day. There was no one else there. David, we can't keep meeting like this, I said to him in an effort to break the ice. Grow up, he said. Grow up. Of course, we met many, many times after that. And I like to think that we got some work done, some useful work, and that we got some sense of each other, not just as opponents, but as people, as human beings. The Good Friday Agreement was a site of struggle for Republicans. The Sinn Féin leadership understood this. We also knew, as George Mitchell later remarked to myself and Martin McGuinness, that getting the agreement was the easy bit. Implementing the agreement was another day's work. And we knew that too. In the years since then, there have been many high-wire negotiations. Significant elements of the agreement have still not been implemented by the British and Irish governments, including a Bill of Rights for the North, an All-Ireland Charter of Rights and the introduction of Act Nagilga. 
The British also failed to honour its Western Park commitment to hold an independent inquiry into the killing of human rights lawyer Pat Finucane. At the same time, Boris Johnson and his government is intent on introducing legacy legislation to protect British state agencies from further exposure of the wrongdoing while denying victims access to truth. Brexit too has caused huge problems. The UVF is now openly opposed to the agreement, as is the TUV. The DUP is threatening to withdraw entirely from the power-sharing process unless the Irish government, the European Union, the US administration and all of those parties north and south that support the protocol acquiesce to their blackmail. And Mr Donaldson has made it clear that he will not be going into the executive if he has a mandate to do so after the elections. Negotiations, he says, must come first. But despite all these difficulties, a new political landscape has been created. The agreement has created new opportunities. Not least is the fact that for the first time there's a peaceful democratic route to bring about constitutional change if that's what the people want. It is now, according to the agreement, for the people of the island of Ireland alone, by agreement between the two parts respectively and without external impediment, to exercise their right of self-determination on the basis of consent freely and concurrently given north and south to bring about a united Ireland if that is their wish, accepting that this right must be achieved and exercised with and subject to the agreement and consent of a majority of the people of Northern Ireland. So it's now for those who believe in the Union with Britain to present the merits of their case, and for those of us who believe in Irish unity to present the arguments in support of that, and for people north and south in referendums to vote in favour of other choice. As the debate on this issue expands, and as more and more people are being drawn into it, the onus on the Irish government is very clearly to assist the planning of the future and to establish a citizens' assembly. And the demand for that is growing on a daily basis. Next year, the Good Friday Agreement will be a quarter of a century old. That might seem a long time, but in the continuum of history, it's a blink of an eye. The agreement is part of a process. It's already brought about much positive change. If we who are the change makers keep at it, I believe that process of change is unstoppable. So, Bannachtin Nakaska, Devesha, Goliar, and for the day that's in it, we'll go out with Luke Kelly, the Dubliners, and the Foggy Jew. Slan live, slan go Joe. City fair There are mad lines of marching men in squadrons past me by. No fight did hum nor battle drum did sound its dread. T-
tattoo But the Angelus bells or the Liffey swell Rang out through the foggy dew Right proudly high over Dublin town They hung out the flag of war Twas better to die neath an Irish sky Than at Sulva or Sudalbar And from the plains of royal Meath Strong men came hurrying through While Britannia's Huns with their long-range guns Sailed in through the foggy dew Twas Britannia bad our wild geese go That small nations might be free But their lonely graves are by Sulva's waves Or the shore of the great North Sea Oh, had they died by Pierce's side Or fought with Calbrew Their names we would keep Where the Fenians sleep Neath the shroud of the foggy Yeah.